Now it's time for Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf, the number one relationship advice radio show in the U.S. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turndorf, and I'm happy to be with you again this week. Today's show is called Liar, Liar, Pants or Panties on Fire, Why We Lie and How to Stop Stretching the Truth. We're going to talk about lying in general, what causes lying, how it erodes our relationships, how to handle a lying partner, how to not take the lying lying down, how to break free from lying clutches. And I'm going to answer later in the show three questions that came in in the past week. The first is, I feel emotionally distant from my girlfriend. And in this question, I'm going to help a man who's losing his feelings of love for his girlfriend who expects them to spend all their time with her baby, including having the baby sleep between them in the bed. So stick with me until later in the show when I guide him on how to resolve this sticky sleeping situation and beyond. The second question I'm going to answer is, he obviously makes his choice. I help a woman in this question who lives with her boyfriend, his child from another relationship, and his parents. And she is struggling with his non-blood-related sister, who comes over often to help with his child. And she wants her boyfriend and his parents to ban this other woman from their house, and she's ready to leave him over this. So stick with me as I help her understand what's really going on and how to resolve it. The third question I'm going to tackle is confused what to do. I have fallen in love. And with this question, I'm helping a man who is in his 60s and living in a sexless marriage to a woman who is in the early stages of dementia. And he has fallen for a much younger woman and wants to be with her. So stay with me to find my find out more about my answer on how to handle this tough situation. And then maybe we'll be able to slip in a reading between the sheets question. And this one is woman who wonders if cybersex is cheating. And in this question, I'm advising a woman who found out that her long-distance boyfriend is having cybersex in her absence. He says that he has few friends where he lives and that if she would just move in with him, he wouldn't need to play around on the internet. So stay tuned to find out how she can handle her tricky dick. So now let's get on to today's topic, lying, fibbing, bending, or stretching the truth. Everybody does it, even though we know we shouldn't. Research shows that there are benefits of honesty beyond relationships and beyond friendships. According to a study presented at the annual meeting of the American Psychological Association, honesty is actually linked with better mental and physical health. Recent evidence indicates that Americans average about, get ready, 11 lies per week. The Notre Dame researchers um, who did a study wanted to find out if living more honestly can actually cause better health. And the University of Notre Dame study asked more than 100 volunteers to count how many times they were dishonest during a 10-week study, but instructed half the group to make a concerted effort to tell the truth at all times. By the end of the study, those who simply counted their lies and did nothing to avoid them wound up with more sore throats, headaches, and mood swings compared with those who worked hard to be honest. So the study at Notre Dame proves that participants who purposefully and dramatically reduced their everyday lives showed significantly improved health results. So why do we lie, even though it poisons our health and our relationships? You know that song by Billy Joel? He got it right when he said, honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. 
But in depicting the deceptions of love, even he may not have fashioned just how persuasive, he didn't fathom how pervasive dishonesty is in our society. When I was preparing this show on lying, I reached out to Duke University behavioral economist and New York Times bestselling author, Dan Arley, and I invited him on the show. I knew it was last minute and Dan and I talked for a bit. He said he'd like to come on soon, but couldn't do it in the short notice I gave him. So hopefully we'll be meeting with him in the future. So Dan wrote a book titled The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, How We Lie to Everyone, Especially Ourselves, and it was published by HarperCollins. Arlie says we lie to everyone, especially ourselves, and it's the lies we tell ourselves that enable, for example, investment bankers to knowingly unload junk funds to their clients, government workers to steal office supplies, and doctors to prescribe drugs they get paid to speak about. Arlie blames our behaviors on two opposing motivations. We would like to view ourselves as honest, value-driven people, but we would also like to make as much money as possible or achieve other goals to get ahead in life. And in order to reconcile these dueling goals, we employ what Arlie describes as cognitive flexibility, the ability to minimize the extent of our cheating in order to still view ourselves as wonderful human beings. There's probably an evolutionary purpose for this rationalization because research shows it may be better for our health to avoid thinking about how much we lie if we're not going to do anything about it. We tend to think that people are either honest or dishonest. In the age of Bernie Madoff and Mark McGuire, John Edwards, we like to believe that most people are virtuous, but a few bad apples spoil the bunch. If this were true, society might easily remedy its problems with cheating and dishonesty. Human resources departments could screen for cheaters when hiring. Dishonest financial advisors or building contractors could be flagged quickly and shunned. Cheaters in sports and other arenas would be easy to spot before they rose to the top of their professions. But that's not how dishonesty works. Over the past decade or so, researchers have taken a close look at why people cheat using a variety of experiments from insurance claims to employment histories to the treatment records of doctors and dentists. And what we have found in a nutshell is that everybody has the capacity to be dishonest and almost everybody cheats just by a little, except for a few outliers at the top and bottom of that bell curve. The behavior of almost everyone is driven by two opposing motivations. On the one hand, we want to benefit from cheating and get as much money and glory as possible. On the other hand, we want to view ourselves as honest, honorable people, as I said before. And sadly, it is this kind of small-scale mass cheating, not the high-profile cases, that is most corrosive to society. Much of what we've learned about the causes of dishonesty comes from a simple little experiment that Arlie calls the matrix matrix task, which he's been using in many variations. And his matrix task has shown rather conclusively that cheating does not correspond to the traditional rational model of human behavior. That is the idea that people simply weigh the benefits, say money, against the costs, the possibility of getting caught and punished, and act accordingly. The basic matrix task goes like this. Test subjects, usually college students, are given a sheet of paper 
containing a series of 20 different matrices structured like the example um, that I just mentioned. And they're told to find in each of the two matrices two numbers that add up to 10. They have five minutes to solve as many of the matrices as possible and get paid based on how many they solve correctly. When we want to make it possible for subjects to cheat on the matrix test task, what Arley says he does is we introduce the shredder condition. The subjects are told to count their correct answers on their own and then put their worksheets through a paper shredder at the back of the room. And they then tell us how many matrices they solved correctly and get paid accordingly. And through his own studies, Arley found that people cheat on IQ tests taken just for fun when they're allowed to peek at the answers at the bottom of the page. And he admitted that he himself helped himself to a higher Mensa score when he took a quiz in a magazine. So we all lie and cheat. That's a fact. Now the question is, how can we stop it? Can we stop it? Well, first, to stop it, you need to know why you do it. Knowing that most people cheat, but just by a little, the next logical question is, what makes us cheat more or less? Well, the first thing is what they call conflicts of interest. Say, for example, you have a personal financial interest in a product or transaction. You're not going to be able to make an honest assessment of it because you have something to gain by being dishonest. This applies to doctors getting free lunches from drug manufacturers and real estate agents pricing a house lower to get a quicker commission. Journalists also have to avoid conflicts, such as taking a speaking fee from an organization they cover. The second the second thing is fuzzy rules. Parents who lie about their children's ages to get them reduced price tickets to Disney follow fuzzy rules. Consultants also bend the rules if they pad their bills because that's what the boss expects. The third item in our list is the ability to rationalize. Fascinatingly, Arley spoke to insider traders and accountants who fudged financial statements, as well as consultants who padded their billable hours. One banker involved in insider trading told Arley that he received all kinds of hints and secrets from his lawyer, and he told himself it wasn't cheating since he wasn't getting precise tips and that everyone already had this information. It's all about rationalization. A parent described in Arley's book was called into school after his son was caught stealing pencils from another student. The man chastised his son. And he said, I would have taken a stack of pencils from the office if only I'd known you needed them. <laughs> Talk about don't do as I say, do as I do. So once everyone is doing it, runs through your mind, you know you're rationalizing your dishonesty. Just because everyone with a small business underreports earnings does not mean that it's okay to cheat on your taxes. The fourth factor that makes it easier for people to lie and cheat is time. According to a new study that was published in the journal Psychological Science, time is a huge factor. Researchers at the University of Amsterdam and Ben Gurion University of the Negev conducted experiments where study participants rolled dice for money. In one of the experiments, participants had to roll the die three times, and the researchers weren't able to see what numbers they rolled. The participants only had to report the first roll. 
but the higher the number they reported rolling, the more money they got. Some of the participants were put under a time crunch and were only given 20 seconds to report their first roll, while the other participants were given as much time as they wanted or needed to report the first roll. Even though the researchers were blinded to what the study participants actually rolled, they were able to surmise whether they lied or not by comparing their answers with the answers one would have gotten from fair rolls when there is no lying involved. By using this technique, they found that the ones who were put under a time crunch were the most likely to lie about rolling a high number, although the ones who were given unlimited time lied too, just not to the extent of those with the time limit. So people usually know it's wrong to lie. They just need time to do the right thing, according to the study researcher who conducted this experiment at the University of Amsterdam. Now, here's another factor that encourages lying and cheating, distance. The more distance we have from the source we're stealing from, the easier it is for us to steal, Arlie says. We rationalize that we're not taking money from someone's pocket if it's a large corporation. While we would never grab a few dollars from a singer's wallet, some of us don't consider an illegal download of the singer's song to be stealing. Now, here's the sixth element that makes it easier to conceal and lie and cheat. Money. Would putting more money on the line make people cheat more? Arlie tried varying the amount that he paid in his studies for a solved matrix from 50 cents to $10. But more money did not lead to more cheating. In fact, the amount of cheating was slightly lower when the researchers promised participants the highest amount for each correct answer. Why? Arlie suspected that at the $10 per solved matrix mark, it was harder for participants to cheat and still feel good about their own sense of integrity. One thing that increased cheating on Arlie's experiments was making the prospect of a monetary payoff more distant in psychological terms. In one variation of the matrix task, the research team tempted students to cheat for tokens, which would immediately be traded in for cash. Subjects in this token condition cheated twice as much as those lying directly for money. The seventh element in cheating, lying, and concealing is less chance of getting caught. So the researchers wanted to know would a higher probability of getting caught cause people to cheat less? Arlie tried conditions for the experiment in which people shredded only half their answer sheet, in which they paid themselves money from a bowl in the hallway, even one in which a noticeably blind research assistant administered the experiment. Once again, lots of people cheated, though just by a bit but the level of cheating was unaffected by the probability of getting caught. Now, here's another factor. Cheating is contagious. Another thing that boosted cheating, having another student in the room who was clearly cheating. In this version of the matrix, matrix task, the researchers had an acting student named David get up about a minute into the experiment and the participants in the study didn't know he was an actor and implausibly claimed that he had solved all the matrices. Watching this mini Madoff clearly cheat, 
and waltz away with a wad of cash, the remaining students claimed they had solved double the number of matrices as the control group. Cheating, it seems, is infectious. So the results of these experiments really should leave you wondering about the ways that we currently try to keep people honest. Does the prospect of heavy fines or increased enforcement really make someone less likely to cheat on his or her taxes, to fill out a fraudulent insurance claim, to recommend a bum investment or to steal from his or her company? It may have a small effect on our behavior, but it is probably going to be of little consequence when it comes up against the brute psychological force of I'm only fudging a little or everyone does it or it's for a greater good. For those wanting to reduce how often they lie and cheat, Arlie offered um, a couple of suggestions in his book. So you have to first recognize that it's not only bad people who lie and to recognize times when you're not being completely honest. And what then, if anything, pushes people toward greater honesty? Well, you know the thou shalt not, reminders of morality, right at the point where people are making a decision, appear to have an outsize effect on behavior. There's a joke about a man who loses his bike outside his synagogue and goes to his rabbi for advice. And the rabbi says, next week, come to services, sit in the front row. And when we recite the Ten Commandments, turn around and look at the people behind you. And when we get to thou shalt not steal, see who can't look you in the eye. That's your guy. After the next service, the rabbi is curious to learn whether his advice panned out. So did it work? He asked the man. Like a charm, the man answered. The moment we got to thou shall not commit adultery, I remembered where I left my bike. So what this little joke suggests is that simply being reminded of moral codes has a significant effect on how we view our own behavior. Another set of Arley's experiments conducted with mock tax forms convinced him that it would be better to have people put their signature at the top of the forms before they filled in false information rather than at the bottom after the lying was done. Unable to get the IRS to give his theory a go in the real world, Arley tested it out with automobile insurance forms. An insurance company gave the researchers 20,000 forms with which to play. For half of them, they kept the usual arrangement with the signature line at the bottom of the page, along with the statement, I promise that the information I am providing is true. For the other half, the researchers moved the statement and signature line to the top. They mailed the forms to 20,000 customers, and when they got the forms back, they compared the amount of driving the, re the re reported on the two types of forms. People filling out such forms have an incentive to under-report how many miles they drove so as to be charged a lower premium. And what did the researchers find? Those who signed the form at the top said on average that they had driven 26,100 miles, while those who signed at the bottom said on average that they had driven 23,700 miles, a difference of about 2,400 miles. So the researchers don't know, of course, how much those who signed at the top of the form really drove. So we don't know if they were being perfectly honest, but we do know that they cheated a good deal less than the control group. So these tricks aren't going to save us from the next big Ponzi scheme or doping athlete or thieving politician, but they could rein in the vast majority of people who cheat just by a little. Across all of Arley's experiments with thousands of people from time to time, they did see aggressive cheaters who kept as much money as possible. 
In the matrix experiments, for example, the researchers have never seen anyone claim to solve 18 or 19 out of the 20 matrices, but once in a while a participant claimed to have solved all 20. Fortunately, they didn't encounter many of these people, and because they seemed to be the exception and not the rule, they lost only a few hundred dollars to these big cheaters. But at the same time, they had thousands and thousands of participants who cheated by just a few matrices, but because there were so many of them, they lost thousands and thousands of dollars to them. Let's take a quick break. I'm going to come back with more on the topic of how to ditch the lying. Back in a moment. Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love reaches millions of terrestrial radio listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group as everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other relationship advice show broadcast anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? I've got an offer to tell you about to provide home security for your home for less than a dollar a day. For real, with no installation or equipment charges. And this is from a company rated number one by a leading consumer research company. For less than a dollar a day with no other costs, you can get your home secured. Plus, get a lifetime equipment replacement warranty. You need protection for your home. Call the home security hotline right now. You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turndorf, and we're talking about lying, cheating, concealing, and how to put an end to it. So what I discussed in segment one is simply that very few people steal to a maximal degree or cheat to a maximal degree, but many good people cheat just a little here and there. We fib to round up our billable hours, claim higher losses on our insurance claims, recommend unnecessary treatments, and so on. Companies also find many ways to game the system a little. Think about credit card companies that raised interest rates ever so slightly for no apparent reason and invent all kinds of hidden fees and penalties, which are often referred to within companies as revenue enhancements. Think about banks that slow down check processing so that they can hold on to our money for an extra day or two or charge exorbitant fees for overdraft 
draft protection and for using ATMs. All of this means that although it is obviously important to pay attention to flagrant misbehaviors, it's probably even more important to discourage the small and more ubiquitous forms of dishonesty, the misbehavior that affects all of us as both perpetrators and victims. This is especially true given what we know about the contagious nature of cheating and the way that small transgressions can grease the psychological skids to larger ones. So we want to install locks to stop the next Bernie, Bernie Madoff, the next Enron, the next steroid-enhanced all-star, the next serial plagiarist, the next self-dealing political miscreant. But locking our doors against the dishonest monsters will not keep them out. They will always cheat their way in. It is the woman down the hallway, the sweet one who could not even carry away your flat screen TV if she wanted to, who needs to be reminded constantly that even if the door is open, she cannot just walk in and borrow a cup of sugar without asking. I heard a story that captures rather nicely our society's misguided efforts to deal with dishonesty. Um, one day, a person locked himself out of his house, and after a spell, a locksmith pulled up in his truck and picked the lock in about a minute. And this guy was amazed at how quickly and easily the locksmith was able to open the door. And the guy said the locksmith told him that locks are on doors only to keep honest people honest. One percent of people will always be honest and never steal. Another one percent will always be dishonest and always try to pick your lock and steal your television. Locks won't do much to protect you from the hardened thieves who can get into your house if they really want to. The purpose of locks, the locksmith said, is to protect you from the 98% of mostly honest people who might be tempted to try your door if it had no lock. Now, let's just take a second to talk about lying and cheating and so on in interpersonal relationships. Lying in relationships is what I call the avoidance defense mechanism in action. So note that when we're born, all humans have a built-in instinct, a built-in defense mechanism to seek pleasure and avoid pain. The avoidance mechanism, defense mechanism, is with us from birth. So if you were yelled at or harshly punished in childhood, you likely learn to lie to avoid a beating or punishment. And in no time, your character, like a willow tree, gets bent in this way. Lie, avoid punishment. So now you're bent in such a way that it is second nature to lie to those with whom you are intimate in order to avoid their wrath. Many people don't directly state what they think or feel, especially if the thoughts and feelings are negative thinking that they are protecting themselves from a fight or a conflict, right? But when we bury our feelings and avoid dealing in the moment, our feelings inevitably end up popping out later. The point is all defense mechanisms backfire and the very reaction you're trying to avoid in the moment, a punishment, the other person's anger, that's the very reaction that you're gonna end up getting in spades just a little down the line when the avoided feeling erupts or the other person realizes you lied to him or her. So what you wanna do is think before you conceal or lie and make a conscious decision to avoid telling what you really think by saying to yourself, am I going to get into deeper hot water down the road when so-and-so finds out as she inevitably will or he inevitably will? Am I, am I willing to get into deeper hot water 
for concealing my feelings or lying? Or will I choose to face the music now and resolve whatever that issue is now? Let me give you an example. I had a patient who hides her texts to her ex, afraid that her husband will be jealous. Her sneaking makes him jealous. So the very thing she was trying to avoid, his jealousy, his anger, she brought about through her avoidant behavior. So become conscious of your urge to lie, conceal, tell an untruth. Bottom line, you can learn to tolerate the anxiety of facing the truth head on and face the music now rather than face a huge explosion or eventual dissolution of your relationship down the road. So let me give you a couple of tweets to help you remember the message of today's show. Lying is trying, especially on the receiver. Lying hastens dying. And there's a reason the word lying rhymes with dying. When it comes to lying, say you aren't buying. Be impeccable with your word or else you will feel like a turd. If your partner lies and doesn't feel guilty, his or her conscience is exceedingly skimpy. Don't take lying, lying down. View all lying with a very big frown. When speaking of infidelity, your conscience shouldn't be fleeting and don't swallow the lie that eating ain't cheating. When you speak with forked tongue, on some level you know you deserve to be hung and your conscience may arrange to get you stung. If you lie in order to get rich, your soul will end up in a ditch. You don't have to lie to get ahead, so try being honest instead. Ditch the lying or you'll end up crying. Lying may get you ahead, but isn't there another way instead? Remember that lying harms your health and damages your sense of inner wealth. When you lie in order to get ahead, in the end, your soul ends up dead. Since relationships and health are ruined by lying, isn't honesty really worth trying? All righty. So I think it's time for us to take another break. When we come back, we're going to tackle the questions that you submitted to me at Ask Dr. Love. Back in a moment. Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love reaches millions of terrestrial radio listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group as everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other relationship advice show broadcast anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? Want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call because the best prices are not online. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner. Call today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first class tickets. 
You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turndorf, and we're talking now about the questions you submitted to me at AskDrLove.com. The first question is called, I feel emotionally distant from my girlfriend. So first I'm going to share the question with you and then I'll discuss my recommendations. Dear Dr. Turndorf, I've been with my girlfriend for about four months now. She has a baby and we all get along really well. Lately, things have been rocky between us. In the beginning, we would go on dates, just the two of us. We would sleep on the bed, just the two of us. We would have private time to connect and get to know each other. For the past two months, we've had zero private time, just me and her. Every time we've gone out to dinner, the baby is there. When I sleep over, the baby sleeps between us on the bed. It's been two and a half months since we've been on a date alone. This has created some sort of emotional distance inside of me, and I feel like I'm losing her not in the traditional sense, but losing her in my heart. I miss her. I miss the time we had just us when we connected, had deep conversations, and were able to enjoy a few hours as just us alone in the world. No one else, no distractions. As sad as this is for me to say, I feel like I'm losing my love for her. I love her like crazy, and I enjoy every second I'm with her. It's just lately I haven't been able to feel that one-on-one connection I need in a relationship, and I don't know how to tell her this. I don't want her to think I hate the baby because I don't. I've had great times with the baby. Even my parents love him. I really need to fix this because it's killing me inside. Okay, so you expressed the problem perfectly, and I totally understand how you feel. In fact, she's using the baby to drive a literal wedge between you two. The baby sleeps between you two and is actually a physical barrier. So the first thought is, how was she able to spend alone time with you without the baby when you were courting? Why has she stopped this since you've moved in or since you've really become a couple? And I assume you haven't said anything to her yet for fear of causing a rift in your relationship. But the reality is the rift is already happening. So you need to tell her what you told me. The best way to handle the conversation is to use my XY formula, which is the problem statement. X is what's going on, what was said or done, and Y is how you feel about it. Now, the trick here is to lead with what I call a disclaimer, 
which is a positive supportive statement that precedes the XY formula. And the disclaimer sets the stage and makes sure that the other person is calm and receptive to your problem statement that will follow. So first, what you want to do is knock on her emotional door to make sure she's available to talk by asking, I have something to discuss. Is this a good time? And when she says, go ahead, then you would just deliver the disclaimer. And that might sound like, I want you to know how much I love you and the baby. And I've been hesitating to discuss what is troubling me for fear of creating hard feelings. But I know that if I don't talk, hard feelings um, is what I'm going to develop. And then she will likely ask you what is troubling you. And then you deliver the XY formula by saying in a succinct way what you told me. That when you were recording, you spent alone time together. For the past two months, there's been no alone time without the baby. And now insert the why portion of the statement, the how you feel about it. Do you feel hurt, disconnected, pushed away, distanced by her? So I would also suggest that your conversation includes her thoughts on why this is happening. I suspect that she is unconsciously seeking what we call psychological merger, a feeling of oneness. Psychological merger is normal in intimate relationships at specific times, like during sexual intimacy and moments of emotional bonding, like during a candlelit dinner or while sharing a moonlit walk on the beach. Problems occur when merged partners find it difficult or undesirable to think, act, or feel separately from each other. When a mother has an infant, merger of mother and child is normal and gradually diminishes as the infant begins to physically and psychologically separate. Since your girlfriend has brought you into her blissful state of unity with the baby, I think she assumes that you are in bliss along with her. In merger, the person assumes that the other person feels as he or she does. Her being in a state of merger with you and the baby means that she feels you are one with her and the baby. Adults seek merger in two different, for two different reasons. The first is as a result of early deprivation. And the second is having grown up in an enmeshed family, a family in which the parents and the children don't separate psychologically and or physically. Paradoxically, these two different causes can create the same need for ongoing merger. For example, a lack of sufficient merger and closeness when someone is an infant can leave that person hungry for merger in adulthood. The mother who suffered childhood deprivation may seek to experience the merger she missed out on by prolonging a feeling of merger with her baby, by sleeping with the baby and wanting to be with the baby all the time. And if a person grew up in an enmeshed family in which the members haven't fully separated, these people will seek to continue the same level of merger that is familiar to them. When they grow up and have families of their own, they are likely to continue the same pattern of enmeshment. So if I'm correct, she's going to resist having her merger security blanket ripped out from under her. So tread carefully and gently and just get her talking about why she thinks this is going on and how it connects to her upbringing. If she talks about having had too little when she was an infant or a child, you're both going to need to consciously come up with ways to feed the starved baby that still lives inside her while finding ways to help you not feel starved of your connection as a couple. And if she admits that her family is enmeshed, you will need to talk about how she can maintain the familiar pattern of her first family 
while finding ways to see you as a separate person with needs that may not match hers at every moment. And you want to note that you're also seeking merger in that you want to feel the same oneness with her that she feels with her baby. So you can surely understand her wish for that sense of unity since you want it yourself. So now the trick is to find the way to feed the babies that live inside both of you in a way that works for both of you. Let me know how you make out. All right, let me take a brief break. I'll be back with you in a moment on Ask Dr. Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love reaches millions of terrestrial radio listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group as everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other relationship advice show broadcast anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? Do you need to get your hands on some extra money right now? Maybe $25,000 or more? If you're a homeowner, now is a perfect time to get cash out while homes in many neighborhoods like yours have gone up in value. You can use the money for anything. It's yours. You can buy an investment property, pay for college, pay off higher interest debt, or make home improvements. A cash-out refinance is the perfect solution to get the cash you need. If you need $25,000, $50,000, or even $100,000, now's the time. Home values are up, and so is your equity. We offer you a way to use it. No need to sell your home or use your savings. Call New American Funding now and speak to a cash-out refi specialist and see how much cash-out you can get. Call New American Funding at 855-403-7120. That's 855-403-7120. Call 855-403-7120. You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Hello again, and welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turndorf, and I'm answering the questions you submitted to me at AskDrLove.com. This question is titled, He Obviously Makes His Choice, I Have a Dilemma. My boyfriend of three years has a sister, in quotes, not blood-related, who has been around for years. Backstory. First, he's a diabetic. The mother of his two girls is no longer in the picture and hasn't been for some years now. 
In the beginning, his so-called sister would help him with the girls. Oh, yes. Did I mention we live at his parents' house? So this sister of his has been an issue for us since the beginning of our relationship. She does not respect boundaries. His parents know that I am uncomfortable with her coming over as much as she does. I could be at work, the grocery store. She comes over. Parents already heard us arguing about her, and they still let her in. His mother and father will let her in, and then I hear her voice from down the hallway. I have expressed in so many ways that I don't want her here as much as she comes by. I don't like it. Once she arrives, I make up some reason to leave to the store again or a friend's house. I know I'm an idiot for that, but he sees it coming from me. I start gathering my purse phone. He knows I'm about to take off. Not once has he got up to stop me. He knows that when she leaves, I'll be back. An argument will occur. I am somewhat of a doormat. I've already expressed to her as well that it bothers me that she comes over. I will not make him choose since the obvious decision is already made. What am I doing wrong? Am I out of line? I'm very understanding, but from an outside view, if any of my friends was going through this, I would have already told them he doesn't respect the relationship or your feelings. You have to move on. What should I do? Am I asking too much of him to choose? Okay, this is a mess. And this is a very odd triangle. You seem to feel threatened by her presence as though you are in competition with her for your boyfriend's affection. It seems to me that he feels indebted to her for having cared for his children. And since she isn't a blood relative, he could have formed a romantic, intimate relationship with her, but he didn't. Well, why didn't he? Does he truly feel like she is his sister? And if so, where's the competition? Are you worried that this sister is trying to win his affections? Do you feel like she's trying to be his girlfriend? If that's true, why didn't he choose her as his girlfriend when he was single before you came on the scene? The real issue here is why you feel so distressed by her presence. It seems to me that you are locked into a sibling triangle in which she unconsciously represents a real sister of yours with whom you are competing for your parents' attention. You're clearly trying to get him and his parents to side with you and put this other woman out in the cold. Don't be so quick to end this relationship. First, you need to be clearer on who this quote unquote sister reminds you of. What happened in your first family? Were you not the favorite child? Did you feel competitive with a sibling who received more attention than you? Believe it or not, the struggle you're in and the way you're trying to get your boyfriend and his parents to take size and favor you is very likely an unconscious attempt to recreate an early wound you suffered in an attempt to settle an old score. Settling the old score would mean arranging to have your parent favor you for once instead of your sister or brother. Are you aware of how hard you are trying to manipulate your boyfriend to kill off your competitor? Murderous sibling rage seems to be behind what's going on here. And by the way, the more you try to pressure him into giving up his sister, the more he's going to want to hang on to her and the more he's going to grow to resent you for trying to force him to give up his friend. And instead of achieving a healing of your early wound and being favored by your parent, you're going to end up being re-injured and set aside in favor of someone else. So when you figure out what you're trying to heal from your past and you heal that wound, you're really not going to give a fig about a friend. So I'd like you to figure out what the old wound is. And then I'd like you to talk to him about that and how this woman reminds you of a sibling who was a favored child in your first family. Let him have some empathy for you and your injury. 
Let him understand your pain. Stop being a tyrant and have more emotional communication. Let me know how you make out. I hope, yes, I think I can answer this one. This is, um, I'm an older guy um, who's fallen in love and I don't know what to do. I'm over 60, ready to retire and married, but my marriage is so tough with no sex. My wife has mild dementia and I am frustrated. I met a wonderful woman, 30. Destiny has brought us together and we have totally fallen in love with each other, both chemistry and attraction, great intimacy. We both want to be together forever. She wants me to be her fiance. This is for real. I do desire to marry her and be her fiance, but I'm in confusion here, very much in love thoughts, ideas. Well, this is a very complicated story. And you're obviously a lovely person who cares for his wife and doesn't want to do her harm. At the same time, you want to marry your new love. And you're certainly entitled to have a life filled with love and emotional and physical intimacy. But the fact that you're asking me for my thoughts makes me wonder if you're looking for permission to leave your wife. And the first thing I'd like you to ask yourself is, do you still love your wife? I assume you have ruled out the possibility of reestablishing intimacy, including sexual intimacy with your wife. Is your wife intact enough to talk with you about your discontent? Is she sufficiently intact to make shifts if she knew you wanted to leave? You must have been unhappy for a very long time. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been so responsive and receptive to another woman. Would your wife be able to care for herself if you left the marriage? And if she only has mild dementia, she isn't ready for an institution, but I imagine she also needs some guidance. Is there another family member, sibling, or children who could help out with your wife? And if there was no one else to help your wife, if you decide to leave her, would you be willing to and want to continue helping her? And would your new love be understanding of your need to help your wife after you leave her? If I had to guess, I would say you are long past trying to work it out with your wife. You're in love with someone else, and you've said that you want to leave the marriage. So if you do leave your wife, you have to do everything in your power to make sure your wife is okay. And your new love has to be on board for this plan. Not taking care of your wife will consume you with guilt. And if your new love objects to your helping your wife, you will come to resent your new par partner, which will poison your new relationship. So at this point, you'd need to talk with your new love and make sure she's on board with the plan to continue helping your wife. And if she is, and you are decided to leave your wife, then you're ready to talk with your wife. Telling your wife that you want to leave the marriage is going to be difficult and painful. And the focus of the conversation is going to need to be on reassuring her that you're not abandoning her and you will do everything in your power to see that she is taken care of. Please keep me posted. Let me know how all this works out. All right. We just have a moment to read between the sheets. This is a sex question. And it ties back in with the lying cheating theme of this week's show. Woman who wonders if cyber sex is cheating. Dear Dr. Turndorf, I'm so confused. My boyfriend of four years has lied to me about an internet relationship that began over four months ago. He says that he's turned to the internet because he has limited friends and I'm not around. He has dangled the carrot of living together as an option to marriage since he has two more years of school and lives on over 300 miles away. I became aware of the relationship after he started talking about his email buddy and started knocking the concept of marriage. He said it was harmless and that she called him for counsel. Then they started talking on the phone. I have known for some time that he was a liar, but I thought he would not lie to me. He repeatedly stated that there was nothing going on as they live over a thousand miles away. He repeatedly stated that 
um, several days ago, oh, sorry, several days ago, my instinct, which is always right, told me to check his email. They had plans to meet. Also, I found that he was having phone sex with this person and two others. Needless to say, he was furious that I invaded his privacy. He gave me the password. He wants to reconcile and even propose marriage. I don't think I can trust him. My question is, do you think this warrants as cheating? Well, if you feel cheated upon, you're being cheated on. Even though he didn't cheat in action, he's making tracks to cheat by making a date to meet this woman. Plus, he's cheating you out of himself by placing his energy in flirting with and verbally making love to others. Every woman needs to feel that she is her boyfriend's or husband's number one girl. And clearly you aren't feeling this. And what's equally unacceptable is the fact that he lied to you. Let's face the fact. If he's so lonely without you, he could get on the horn and talk to you, not some stranger. And by making imaginary love with others, he's pushing you away. Yes, he's an intimacy and commitment phobic and a liar. But enough about him. It's you I'm worried about. You said you knew he lies, but never thought he'd lie to you. And I'm afraid you've been living in denial here. Feels like some unfinished childhood business is afoot. And I sense that your unconscious has chosen a man that lies because you're used to being lied to. The unconscious fantasy being this choice behind this choice is the wish that this time around you're going to fix the liar. Isn't this exactly what you said? I never thought he'd lie to me. But he's lying to you about not being involved with someone else. He's planning to meet with his cyber sex partner. So you need to check out my book, Kiss Your Fights Goodbye, figure out what old scar you are repeating here in this relationship with him, and then heal that original scar. As you heal that old scar, you are not going to be interested in choosing a lying partner who recreates for you the lies you suffered as a kid. And this will help you free up from this kind of man in the future as well. So I hope that I've clarified for you the path to take. That's all the time we have. So everybody, I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will see you next time on Ask Dr. Love. You've been listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. Sign up for Dr. Jamie's newsletter at askdrlove.com and receive her meditation audio that will guide you to open your heart and chill out during these stressful times. 